Welcome to No Filter. I'm your host, Anna Kasparian. And boy, do you have a show ahead for you today. Look, I like old political videos, and we have two blocks, not one, two blocks, where we're gonna show you some old political videos that are very much relevant today. But before we get to all of that, we gotta talk about the shenanigans that took place at CPAC. No one obsesses about the transgender community quite like those on the right do. I don't really get why anyone spends a huge amount of mental energy on hating a group of people who have no impact on their lives. I especially fail to understand why that negative energy is spent on hating people who just want something simple, to be treated kindly and to have the same damn rights everyone else is supposed to have. During the conservative political action conference, which is best described as a massive annual dumpster fire, a panel about God knows what devolved into a ridiculous hate sesh toward the trans community. We had our second granddaughter, and like I said a few weeks ago, yeah, and her name is Reagan. How presidential is that? Beautiful Reagan Elise. I lobbied for Trump, but it was a little too soon maybe, so we'll, we'll see. Trump is not the most feminine name, but we could make it. Hey, you we know, could go, I mean, but neither is Reagan, We're gonna take actually. a page out of the liberal playbook. It doesn't matter, you know, it, it doesn't matter. We can identify how we want. Oh, by the way, she is a daughter. She's our granddaughter, She's a and we're raising her as a girl. She's beautiful. We're, we're not letting her have a choice. She's what there, God designed. There will be outrage tomorrow that you decided for it's her. God, God makes the choice of what the babies are going to be, and God decided hey, she would be a girl. You don't have to raise them as a girl. She's got a little baby doll right, oh, right under her arm every second. Yeah. I and mean, my boys always had guns in their hands. So <laughs> we didn't. That, that's not something. Hashtag me too. That's not something you teach them. That's something they're born with. We're not giving her a choice. Hey, idiots, I have some news for you. You can go ahead and give your little girls dolls or boys guns all you want. But if their gender identity conflicts with their biological sex, no amount of hate or propaganda is gonna magically change them. I mean, a gun might accidentally kill them or purposely kill dozens of us later, but I can assure you that their gender identity won't change. Interestingly enough, there were conservative transgender activists at CPAC, which I also have a hard time understanding considering the party they identify with has such intense disdain for them. But we should hear what they have to say, so here you go. I fully believe in limited government, but that limited government extends to not telling people who they should be married to or who should they be. I'm disappointed, I feel like um, President Trump kind of let me down. Uh, I know on the trail, he really hammered the point home that he was uh, an LGBTQ friendly president. I mean, he was the first Republican nominee who's ever uttered the words LGBTQ at a Republican convention, let alone LGBT. Uh, he held up the flag, which I realize is a gesture. We held up a flag today, so anyone can hold up a flag. But uh, to my knowledge, no other Republican nominee had done that. And he did other things like keep the LGBTQ envoy. Uh, so he was doing things, and granted, you know, I have criticisms of Trump in other ways, but he was traveling along this path, and I'm like, oh wow, you know, maybe it is that kind of New York moderation that is uh, leading him to an LGBTQ friendly path. But then this happened, and it was kind of a litmus test to me that uh, this is not a good sign. Yep. 
Not a good sign, and you should be disappointed. The Trump administration has rolled back what little rights the transgender community gained while Barack Obama was in charge. In case you forgot while swimming in the cesspool of hate, I can help remind you. On November 23rd, 2018, the US Office of Personnel Management erased guidance that helped federal agency managers understand how to support transgender federal workers and respect their rights. On August 10th, 2018, the Department of Labor released a new directive which encouraged the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs to grant broad religious exemptions to federal contractors who want to discriminate against LGBT individuals based on religious reviews or views, I should say. On May 11th, 2018, the Bureau of Prisons in the Department of Justice adopted a policy of housing transgender people in federal prison facilities that matched their sex assigned at birth, which rolled back existing protections. Oh, and remember Trump's transgender military ban? It didn't go away. In fact, in March of 2018, the Trump administration announced how it plans to implement the new policy. On February 18th, 2018, the Department of Education announced that it will dismiss discrimination complaints from transgender students. In January of 2018, HHS opened a conscience and religious freedom division that will protect healthcare providers who cite religious or moral reasons for not doing their jobs and refusing care to the trans community. That's just what the Trump administration did in one year. Never mind the fact that in October of 2017, the DOJ released a memo allowing federal agencies, government contractors, and even private businesses to engage in discrimination as long as they can cite religious reasons. So while we might be distracted by the seemingly endless and intense flow of news in this Trump media cycle, make no mistake about the concentrated effort this administration put into hating on a group of people who are already disenfranchised in the first place. When watching that horrendous CPAC panel discussion, keep in mind that these are wealthy people in positions of power. Rather than using that power for good, rather than understanding how their privilege could help improve the conditions for all Americans in this country, all they did was focus on punching down and continuing the trend of mischaracterizing and bullying the powerless. We'll be right back. At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age. There's a great deal of speculation about whether former Vice President Joe Biden will announce his candidacy for the 2020 general election. Now, considering Biden's recent actions, which include speaking to potential donors, it's pretty clear to me that he's likely to announce his intent to run soon. Last week on No Filter, we went through the history of Bernie Sanders and his political career to see whether he's been sincere or consistent on the issues that matter the most to Americans, or at least the issues that matter the most to progressives. Today, I want to examine Biden's political career, which has been a long one. Let's start with the issue of campaign finance reform. The following video is from 1974, when Biden was a relatively new senator out of Delaware. The system does produce corruption, and I think implicit in the system is corruption, when in fact, whether or not you can run for public office, and it costs a great deal of money to run for the United States Senate, even for a small state like Delaware, uh, you have to go to those people who have money, and they always want something. 
Well, I wonder whether you would feel that there's some virtue in forcing candidates to go out and try to raise money. I've heard people, probably people who didn't run for office, say that it's uplifting to go out and try to get money. Do you think that there's something unuplifting about putting a limit to how much you can ask one man to give you? I think it's the most degrading experience in the world to have to go out and ask for money because you know that unless you accidentally agree with the position taken by the person or group that has the money, that you run the risk of deciding whether or not you're going to prostitute yourself to give the answer you know they want to hear in order to get funded to run for that office. All right, some pretty strong words there. Now remember that that video was from 1974. Two years later, the Supreme Court actually loosened campaign finance regulations in Buckley v. Vallejo. Biden didn't have anything to do with that, but how does he feel about campaign finance today? Is he consistent on this issue? Well, recently The Hill published an article titled, Biden Seeks Donors as He Eyes Presidential Bid. In the article, those close to Biden say he's trying to get the money necessary to start off with strong funding as soon as he launches his campaign. A Biden ally told The Hill, quote, it's a priority. If you don't have a good second quarter showing, that could be problematic. During his calls with donors or potential donors, Biden mentions that he was the only surrogate who could campaign in both blue and red states. And look, each candidate should campaign in blue and red states, regardless of which party they represent. But I get the sense that Biden believes he can work with Republicans in bipartisan compromises, which was a mistake that Obama made again and again and again. I'm not the only one who wants to see a Democratic fighter rather than someone who just wants to compromise for a party that, or compromise with a party, I should say, that has no interest in bending their views. Biden recently got a lot of heat from the left, including Senator Elizabeth Warren, for making it seem like Vice President Mike Pence isn't the anti-freedom right-wing religious zealot that he really is. The guy is a decent guy, our Vice President, who stood before this group of allies and leaders and said, I'm here on behalf of President Trump. And there was dead silence. Maybe there was dead silence because the world doesn't see Mike Pence as a decent guy. But okay, look, I know this is a giant tangent and we should get back to money in politics. Bernie Sanders has raised a lot of money from small dollar donors rather than millionaires and billionaires and maybe Biden was doing the same when he reached out to donors. Maybe he was reaching out to small dollar donors, except he wasn't. He's going in a completely different direction. The Hill writes that, quote, last fall, Biden lit up the crowd, as one donor put it, when he appeared at an intimate Los Angeles fundraiser co-hosted by Hollywood heavyweight Jeffrey Katzenberg and other Democratic bundlers. Democratic strategist Brad Bannon adds that, quote, Biden has to rely on fundraising events and big donors who are suspect in the minds of rank and file primary voters who abhor big money in politics. So it appears that the issue of political corruption isn't one that Biden cares enough about to practice what he preaches or preached several decades ago. All right, so let's move on to the issue of income inequality. During Biden's 1988 presidential run, he spoke out against the way the middle class and the poor were being neglected by our lawmakers. And he had some strong words in favor of funding public education. We can make an education system work that's not working now. We can in fact do something about the dread of nuclear war. We can deal with our trade problem and promote American jobs that pay real money, not 
not poverty wages. We can do all this and much more. The next president of the United States has a phenomenal opportunity to make a contribution to this country in a way that's going to make life better for our children. Biden continued presenting himself as a warrior for the poor during his 1988 presidential bid. It seems to me that when we got involved in the civil rights movement, Frank, nobody asked Martin Luther King what his legislative agenda was. He marched to change attitudes. When the women's movement started, it did not move with a constitutional amendment. They marched to change attitudes. And this party better understand full well that it's about time we change our attitude and we begin to change the attitudes of Americans about what their responsibilities are to the poor, about what their responsibilities are to other people, and about what our responsibility in the world is. And that requires changing attitudes. All right, so did Biden's attitude change? Fast forward to 2018 and Biden still argues that he's looking to do something about income inequality. I mean, sure, he's had plenty of opportunities to do something considering he was first elected into the Senate in the 1970s when he was 29 years old and had the opportunity to serve in the executive branch as Obama's vice president. Maybe he'll get around to it this time around. But in order to solve the issue of income inequality, you have to tackle its root causes, like the ruling elite who donate money to Biden's campaigns. Is he willing to do that? Let's hear from Biden in May of 2018 to find out. We have to deal with income inequity. I love Bernie, but I'm not Bernie Sanders. I don't think 500 billionaires are the reason why we're in trouble. Mm. If a politician claims they want to do something about income inequality in America, they can't simultaneously pretend as if the top 1%, which exploits legalized bribery to ensure politicians keep their taxes low, aren't the problem. Come on. Finally, I wanted to briefly cover an issue that could be a problem for Biden as the primaries heat up. When Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was nominated in the 1990s, he faced sexual harassment allegations from Professor Anita Hill. Much like the Kavanaugh hearings, Hill was asked to testify before the Senate, where Biden, along with a panel of all male senators, asked her a number of uncomfortable questions. It is appropriate to ask Professor Hill anything any member wishes to ask her to plumb the depths of her credibility. Can you tell the committee what was the most embarrassing of all the incidences that you have alleged? I think the one that was the most embarrassing was his discussion of, of pornography involving these women with large breasts and, and ha engaged in variety of sex with different people or, or animals. That was the thing that embarrassed me the most and made me feel the most humiliated. And every expert comes forward and says, there's a pattern. It doesn't happen in isolated instances, it's a pattern. If there's not a pattern, to me, that's probative. That has some dispositive weight. No one's proved a pattern here of anything. We're not finished yet, but no one's proved a pattern. Again, these people have decided already once and for all they're four years against you. You need better lawyers, you need to hire me. With the Me Too era in full swing, Biden's involvement in those hearings has come back to haunt him already. And he addressed critics in a recent interview. I wish I could have done more to prevent those questions and the way they asked them. 
I hope my colleagues learned from that. Learn from that. My biggest regret was I didn't know how I could shut you off if you were a senator and you were attacking Nita Hill's character. Under the Senate rules, I can't gavel you down and say you can't ask that question, although I tried. And so what happened was she got victimized again during, during the process. It seems like you get it now versus back in 91. Well, I think I got it in 91. I don't think it, well, that, 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 uh, people have their own opinion. Wait a minute. Did Biden just say he tried to stop senators from asking Hill certain questions? That's funny because if you go back and look at the tapes, you see something completely different. It is appropriate to ask Professor Hill anything any member wishes to ask her to plumb the depths of her credibility. Well, we're definitely plumbing the depths of your credibility right now, Biden. Biden's line of questioning was a little different for nominee Clarence Thomas. At one point, Thomas mentioned how he was convinced that every referee involved in a football game between the Cowboys and the Redskins was really a Redskins fan. But it's his hope that the referees, much like the senators in the hearing, would be impartial and fair. Here's how Biden responded. Dallas Cowboys or the Redskins? I'm a, I'm a lifetime, uh, I've been a Dallas Cowboys fan for 25 years. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, we've got a solid answer. Speaking of getting solid answers, that's exactly what we as voters should expect from every single candidate. Where do they truly stand on the issues? It's easy to say you're in favor of getting money out of politics. It's very trendy these days to pretend like you wanna do something about the ever widening gap between the rich and the poor. But actions speak louder than words. And fortunately, candidates like Biden have a long political record we can dissect. Just remember, talk is cheap. We'll be right back. Welcome back to No Filter. At the aforementioned dumpster fire known as CPAC, the president gave a rambling two hour marathon speech in which he described the Mueller investigation with a naughty word. Unfortunately, you put the wrong people in a couple of positions and they leave people for a long time that shouldn't be there. And all of a sudden, they're trying to take you out with bullshit, okay? With bullshit. There might be a couple of things you find striking in that clip. First off, a sitting president cussed on stage. Not in a closed door meeting, but on stage in front of at least 100 morons. Secondly, we didn't bleep it. If you've been watching TYT shows lately, you may have noticed that due to our distribution agreements, we can't typically broadcast such naughty words. But there is actually an exception for when that word is spoken by the president and thus becomes newsworthy. Let's take a moment to really dissect how insane that is, how incredibly crazy our world is right now, where I can't say something like, the president has turned the White House into a hole. But I can say the president referred to certain countries as shitholes. Isn't that insane? I can't say the president's ramblings are complete and utter bullshit, but I can absolutely say the president referred to the Mueller investigation as bullshit. Trump's S-bomb is the latest in a long series of actions that, let's face it, would have disqualified politicians in the past. But in today's political world, it seems certain lawmakers can get away with it. Just how much have things changed in recent years? I went deep into the political vault to find out. Before I get into it though, this process was pretty frustrating. 
To be fair, politicians throughout the ages have done some pretty terrible things, but were able to maintain their careers. But still, there's a lot that Trump has done that should have definitely disqualified him, but hasn't. First up, temperament. Our president throws tantrum after tantrum, but keeps coming back. Believe it or not, there was a time when even a momentary outburst could cost you an entire political career. Just ask Howard Dean. We go to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan, and then we're going to Washington D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! Look, I feel like that's the way I would celebrate a victory. But look, it's it's worse when you look at it with that 2004 video quality. <laughs> but how about the specific issue of a candidate taking aim at the press? Not a day goes by without Trump whining about how he's unfairly being treated by the media. He essentially paints himself as this weak and pathetic victim of bullying. Yet his voters still stick with him. I'd be embarrassed, but that doesn't seem to be a human emotion that the Trump base is capable of feeling. This wasn't always the case though. During the 1972 presidential election, a local newspaper column attacked candidate Ed Muskie of Maine and his wife, accusing him of, among other things, musing an ethnic slur against French Canadians. I know, New England problems, am I right? Anyhow, Muskie was on track to win the New Hampshire primary by a landslide until this moment where he called out the man who ran the piece. He's proved himself to be a gutless coward. Maybe I said all I should on it. It's fortunate for him he's not on this platform beside me. A good woman. Wow, did you see that? No, you didn't, because nothing really happened by our standards today. At the time, the media called Muskie out for being too emotional. The Washington Post wrote he broke down three times in as many minutes. The Boston Globe wrote Muskie was weeping silently. Muskie still won the primary, but failed to meet expectations and his campaign never recovered. Fast forward to today and you'll find our president whimpers about fake news all the freaking time. Yet somehow his base still thinks of him as this powerful alpha dog, it makes no sense. Now for something more substantive, like foreign policy. Is there anyone out there who truly believes that our president actually has a firm grasp of what's happening around the world? No, yet history is littered with the careers of politicians who were effectively disqualified when it was revealed that they might not know anything about the world. So you agree with President Obama on Libya or not? Okay, Libya. What would you do if you were elected? About Aleppo. About Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. Aleppo is in Syria. It's the, uh, it's the epicenter of the refugee crisis. Okay, got it, got it. Putin rears his head and, and uh, comes into the airspace of the United States of America, where, where do they go? It, it's Alaska, it's just right over the border. Isn't it kind of shocking that Gary Johnson wasn't the dumbest Republican candidate in the 2016 election? 
Anyway, how about something more serious, like signaling to racists? Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott made these comments at an event celebrating Senator Strom, Strom Thurmond. Strom, he's Strom Thurmond. Anyway, he was celebrating his 100th birthday. When Strom Thurmond ran for president, we voted for him. We're proud of it. And if the rest of the country had followed our lead, we wouldn't have had all these problems over all these years either. If you're listening to the podcast version of this show, I highly, highly recommend you find a way to watch the video version of this show because that was incredible. That might seem like a nice thing to say at a dinosaur fossil's birthday party, except for one, oh man, that is, that is harsh, except for one thing. Thurman was a racist dinosaur fossil and ran for president in 1948 as a segregationist. Lott resigned his leadership position for that statement. But Trump has made far less veiled racist statements during his time in the public eye. In fact, Trump has a long record of racist comments that are way more explicit. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime. They're rapists. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Of course, Trump was referring to the white nationalists who were marching in Charlottesville, Virginia, and chanting things like the Jews will not replace us. He believes that there are some fine people on that side. Nowadays, vast swaths of the electorate seem to have no problem with a president who makes racist comments. They offer excuses like, ah, that's just how he is, or he's not afraid to speak his mind. And if that's the case, maybe Joe Biden is the man for the moment. Just listen to what he said back in 08. In Delaware, the largest growth in population is Indian Americans moving from India. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. So I'm not joking. Oh my God. That's not nearly as mean-spirited as Trump, but still very cringy. We don't have time to play the clip in which Biden tells a man in a wheelchair to stand up, but we do have time to thank you for watching or listening. And thanks to the great crew and producers who make this show possible. That includes Jesus Godoy, Skip Velaco, Ja'Cory Palmer, Craig Lowry, Edwin Umania, Sophie, Mary, Brett, you guys are all wonderful. And thanks to the great crew that helps like Keep me together every Monday. Follow us on Twitter at NoFilterTYT and rate this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating. I'd really appreciate it. It helps to get this podcast featured on all the platforms that it's on. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week with another episode of No Filter.